Hebrews 10, uh, 9 through 14, or 19 through 25, excuse me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies, washed with pure heart. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, music team, so much um, for leading us this morning. Um, this is kind of getting bittersweet, so Ethan's going to lead us again next week, um, and Ethan's kind of already informed me, like, he's 20 now, and he's going to be heading to his junior year of college, and he kind of informed Christy and I this summer that, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be coming home to stay for long periods of time anymore. Um, because I, you know, want, he wants to go get a fellowship and internship and get start his degree field and moving into that. And I get it. He's, he's a growing young man. So I know that these moments when he gets to, to lead in music are, are going to be few and far between. So kind of a bittersweet time to watch my boys um, play together, worship God together through praise music. And so it's, it's just kind of fun for me, for Christy and I. So thank you for, for being a part of it with us. Hebrews, we're starting this morning and as we continue to look at what it is to make disciples, we're talking about our essentials here, and we said we're changing our, our essentials, they used to be gather, go, give, grow, and if you've been to our website recently, you're seeing that our website's under construction as we update all this, and we're saying, you know what, let's just get super simple, let's go back to the words of God, and God said in the great commandment, love God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people because when we look at defining who the neighbor is, you know, we see that great story of the Good Samaritan answering that question that neighbor, our neighbor is, is all those that God puts in our path as we journey through life. Whether they're believers or not yet believers. We also see in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and I really, really encourage you to commit these to memory. These are the commands of Christ. These are the big commands of Christ that, you know, despite what the world says, despite what other churches said, despite what other pastors have said, Jesus said, this is what you got to do. And he said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, even to the end of the age. Okay? So teaching them, baptizing them. So we're to make disciples, right? We're to love God. And we're to love people. But making disciples doesn't seem to just come naturally. 
And so it's something that we're like, how do we do that? Do we hold really big classes? And, and is, it, is it just lecture format? And we, we, we've shown that actually, and discovered that actually lecture format is, is the least effective way of making disciples, which shouldn't surprise us. Because what did Jesus do in making disciples? Jesus invited some gentlemen to follow him. He said, come, follow me. And, he, and then Jesus' life, and through not just his teaching, but through his very life itself, he instructed his disciples what it looks like to follow him and to live for him. And so when we are making disciples, we literally want to invite people into our lives and as intimidating or as weird as it may sound, we say, in a sense, follow me, not so that they can become like us, but that might see Christ in us and in our lives and how we live and will desire to be in relationship with God and follow God. Does it make sense? And last week, we talked about the number one, the most essential thing that you, before you even begin making disciples, you have to do what? What did we talk about last week? Love them. You have to love them. And we're like, well, you know, and, and, because I'm telling you what, you go after somebody, you don't love them, and you feel obligated. Well, pastor said, Jesus said, love people, love God, make disciples. Fine. I want you to be my disciple. I haven't, don't care who it about you, but Jesus says I have to do this. Don't. Stop before you start, please. And I'm serious, like, if your heart isn't breaking for the people God has sent you, you need to pray for God to break your heart. And by the way, God is sending you to people. Do you have neighbors? North and south at this point. Yes. You have neighbors, okay? You have neighbors, right? You have coworkers at work. You have people you golf with. You have, you have a tax person, maybe. You've got a finance person, maybe. You've got a spouse. You've got children. You have people that surround you. You, take, you, go, you go visit your grandkids. You, there are people around us all the time. God puts people in our path. We have people that God is calling us to make disciples. The question is, is our hearts broken for those people? And are we approaching those people in the same love that God approaches us? Because you got to understand, God met us where we were at and got hold of our hearts. But I find it so interesting that Christians are unwilling to meet people where they're at in order to bring the love of God. Oftentimes we tell people, and we talked about this last week, fix yourself. Stop your drinking, stop your smoking, stop your carousing, stop your whatever. Then I'll be able to present Christ to you. That's legalism, that's morality, but that's not Christianity. Amen. Christ changes people's hearts. Then the rest of them gets changed. So we too go after people's hearts. And as I left last Sunday, I was praying and pleading, like, God, please let them think about this and wrestle with this. Because let me tell you something, going after people's hearts is messy and hard and not simple. And if you really start to think about it and wrestle with it, like what is it, even our own kids, like what is it to go after our kids' hearts, not just their actions? Like we want to just stop doing that. But why are they doing that? Stop believing that. But why are they believing that? It takes time. To love people well takes time. 
To go after their heart takes time, and so we need to love them. We need to have our hearts broken over them as we pursue them for Jesus Christ. And last, the last love thing that we talked about was like accepting people with an agenda. And that, that may sound weird. And if you're a not yet believer this morning, you're going, I knew it. You Christians like only become my friends for a certain reason. Like, like I knew it. You're just trying to get me in church. No, we're not trying to get you in church. We're trying to make you become the church. Because the agenda that we accept you with is we want Jesus Christ in your life because we understand that the greatest thing in this world is Jesus Christ. And his transformation of your life will give you the most abundant, beautiful, amazing, powerful life that you can ever imagine. No self-help book out there compares to Jesus invading your life and changing it. I promise you. And so, yes, we do because we could not be your friend. We could not say we love you apart from Jesus Christ. I can't say I love you if I'm not wanting to bring and see Jesus Christ invade your heart and invade your life. Even an atheist, the, the famous magician, I forgot his name, escapes me right now. Yeah, yeah, which one? I don't know, he's Penn or Teller. Tiller. Yeah, Tiller, uh, I think it was uh, Penn. He made this incredible YouTube video, look it up. It, 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 he says on this YouTube video, um, that, and he is a diehard atheist. He goes, but how much do you have to hate me if you're a Christian not to bring the gospel? Because if the gospel and Jesus is the most important thing to you and the most radical thing in your life, then you should have to, you should want to tell me about it, even though knowing I will reject you for it. Because if you don't bring it, it means you absolutely hate me because you're not sharing the thing that I absolutely need. Contemplate that, even an atheist recognizes this brothers and sisters we have to bring the gospel we accept with agenda but meeting people where they're at means that we have to to know them we have to know people this is where it gets really messy we have to know them in such a way we have to enter into their lives in such a way that is able to look past the sin, the brokenness, the ugliness that they're involved in and, and get to know them and get to know their hearts. Get to understand the why behind their actions. Get to understand all that's going on and so that you can bring the gospel message to their heart the way Christ does, did to us. He brought people into our lives to speak into our lives at just the right moment. And the gospel changed us. John chapter 4, turn with me there, if you will. Um, and while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Why do we struggle to know people? Busyness. Huh? Anxiety, it stresses us out. Trusting, we've been hurt before. So, sorry, I'm going to close that off and then not know you. Good. Timing? Time investment, absolutely. So, so far a lot, I'm hearing a lot of time investment. Absolutely, what else? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves a little bit here. We don't want to? We don't want to? Okay, there we go, that's an honest answer. You come from my wife, that's all right. <laughs> You'd be made fun of? Rejection? 
Intimidation. Man, there are some smart people. I went to, I remember when I went to Bible school, my, uh, Bible school, my uh, Emory Riddle Aeronautical my first year, and there was a really smart guy there. And I like, every time I'd open my mouth about Jesus, like the guy would just shut me down with this string of stuff. And I'm like, I was so intimidated to share with him the gospel. But absolutely. What about presuppositions that we have about people? We don't get to know them because we already know them. Confession's hard, but it's good for the soul, okay? But th- these are reasons why we put up barriers that, that keep us from knowing. But the beautiful thing that I love about our Savior is he gave us some amazing examples in Scripture of, of knowing people, of getting to know them. And he's God. Jesus is fully God, fully man. When he sits down, and here in John chapter 4, when he sits down with the woman at the well, and you can begin reading this even as I'm talking right now, he sits down with the woman at the well. And what do we learn in those, in those first few verses, in verses 1 through 6, what do we learn about Jesus? I'm, see, I'm forcing you to have your Bibles open right now. <laughs> and if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles underneath the pew seats there. Reach, grab one. John chapter 4 is where we're in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel in the New Testament. John chapter 4. What do we learn about Jesus? He knows everything. and He knows the hearts of everybody. Sure. But what, tell me about his physical. What do we, he's real, fully God, fully man. What, where is he physically in John chapters, John chapter 4, 1 through 6? He's tired. Yeah, he's tired. He's been journeying. And, and, and he's just received news. And, and what does that begin with? What news did he just receive? Well, it says that the, he starts this journey after something. Oh. Come on, Kathy, bring it. The Pharisees were upset with him because um, uh, yeah, well, because he was because he had more followers validating each other than they did. Yeah, there's growing conflict between him and the religious leaders of the day. So you got growing conflict between him and the religious leaders of the day, and 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 he so it says that he had to go through Samaria. And if you study this passage or heard sermons on it, you may have heard this already, um, but repetition is good because it, it, solves, it makes it solid in our minds. If you look at the, demo, the geographical region, you need Judea down here, Samaria, um, and Galilee, okay? And so he's traveling to Galilee. Well, he could have very, what normal, normally what Jews would do is they would cross over the Jordan, proceed up to the area of Decapolis, and then cross back over the Jordan into Galilee. They would not go through Samaria. They hated Samaritans. Hated them. They were half Jews and half Gentiles. They were were a people that had abandoned the law. They had abandoned the worship practices of the Israelite nation. They had forsaken God. They were a gross and disgusting people, an unclean people in the sight of the Jews. But Jesus, and what's very interesting, this word that is used for had to go through, it was necessary. In the Gospel of John, oftentimes that word means and carries with it this idea and understanding it was of God's plan it was necessary for God's plan to be accomplished that he went through Samaria and so it was necessary that Jesus 
facing this growing hostility with the religious leader heads north, goes through in Samaria and stops at Jacob's well. And what's very interesting, it describes to the reader of John that this was a field that was given from Jacob to Joseph. Now the story of Joseph, if you're thinking about the end story of Joseph, what what are you thinking about? Celebration. You're thinking about redemption, renewal. There's a story of, of once a slave and now like second most powerful in all of Egypt. You're seeing this wonderful story of salvation as God used what Joseph went through to save his people from an incredible famine and he brought them to Egypt. And you're thinking about Joseph, this incredible story. So we shouldn't be surprised, but when we see the end result of this story, because there's great foreshadowing that's take place right there beginning because of what's being described at where this is taking place. Like once again, the story of Joseph. Oh, you thought Joseph was in trouble. You thought the story was going south when he was carried off as a slave into Egypt. You think the story is going south. Jesus is in Samaria speaking to a Samaritan woman. Some beautiful parallels taking place in the stories. Jesus sits down next to this woman. And he begins to have a conversation with her. Now the disciples have gone off to get food and Jesus is left alone with a Samaritan woman when she comes up to the well. What time of day is it? Noon. And again, if you've studied this passage, you're getting some of these things, the importance of it. It's one of the hottest parts of the day. How many of you all have ever carried a bucket to get water from a well, a stream and carry it back? A few, good, that, that, that was super helpful. You know, um, we need some more of you to do that, like, because you're not grasping this, like, you're going to carry your urn, right? She's got her urn that she's, she has clay pot that she would have carried out from the town, the village, um, and so normally you wouldn't do this at the hottest part of the day. That my dad used to tell me, work smarter, not harder, son. This would be harder, not smarter, okay? It's the hottest part of the day. She is bringing out this to fill, Why? Well, we discover the why in a little bit. When Jesus, when she confesses that married five times and the man she's living with now is not her husband. She's an outcast. So, so you've got the, the Jews' view of the Samaritan people is already pretty low. But she's an outcast of her own people. She's, she's, she's not much above dirt. But in Jesus' valuation... She's precious. She's treasured. She's given. Look at how much of the gospel account she's given. Show me another story of Jesus' interaction with someone else. This is a pivotal, powerful story for how Jesus values people. And especially for women in here this morning, your heart should leap at this. I had a great question asked of me this week. I'm discipling an individual. And he said to me something about well, wouldn't it have been kind of weird that women would have discovered that Jesus wasn't in the, that the tomb was empty first? And I said, absolutely. Because if you're trying to prove an event take place in that time frame, the last people you would have referenced is women discovering something. No offense to women, but that's what was the culture back then. But in Jesus's kingdom and Jesus's idea of polity and what's important and, and gender, guess what? Women have extreme significance to value in Jesus's kingdom. And that is so cool about our Savior. Here is this woman considered worse than less than dirt. And Jesus is going to just sit down and take time to answer her questions and explain to her and speak into her heart exactly 
what she needed to know. Now, Jesus could have done that that fast. Jesus could have sat down with her and in two words, her heart would have been changed and she'd have been off back to the village. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus lets this conversation develop. He lets her ask questions, some of which are pretty snarky. Come on, she gets a little snarky with Jesus and you may take offense of it. Don't. Because Jesus doesn't. Don't miss that. The son of God, fully God, fully man, lets this woman who's involved in a horrendous life, because I'll guarantee most of us would choose not to sit down with the person of this ill repute. But Jesus does, and he lets her get snarky with him. Because he's going after her heart. Because he wants her to know that he knows her. He loves her. He knows her brokenness. He knows her sin. He knows what she's done. And he loves her. And that changes her heart. And she's off to go tell a village full of people who could care less about her. I think I've discovered the Messiah. Please don't miss that. Jesus also tells another story. We're going to go back a slide here. Look, if you will, at Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is a great little Sunday school song that I used to grow up. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was... Aha, <laughs> oh, some folks, good job, good job. I'm so proud of you. Okay, if you don't know that, don't worry, you're not missing out on much. Okay, so Zacchaeus was this, was this <laughs> Curtis is nailing it. He's this tax collector. And back in that day, and not only does the text describe him as a tax collector, the text describes him as a rich tax collector. He's good at his job, which is ripping people off. So the Roman government appointed Jews to come in or or other Gentiles to come in and and collect taxes from the people. And oftentimes the way the tax collectors, they wouldn't get paid by the Roman government. They would skim from the people because they're definitely not skimming from the Roman government. That'd be... Okay, so they're skimming from the people so they would charge more than what the Roman government had put in place and they're taking it and lining their own pockets. And Zacchaeus was so good at this, he was very wealthy from ripping people off. Well, if you were a Jew doing that, you were, you were absolutely abhorred. You were like, how can you be a Jew and ripping your own people off working for a Gentile government? But Zacchaeus has heard of Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Well, Zacchaeus is vertically challenged. Okay? So Zacchaeus finds a sycamore tree, and he climbs up in the sycamore tree, and, 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 he, and he's climbing this up, and, and I'm sure people are elbowing and pushing him back because, hey, this is Zacchaeus after all. And he climbs up in this tree, which, if you begin to think about it, it's pretty humbling. I mean, he's got to be pretty desperate to see Jesus, Right? Because he's this wealthy man. I don't know too many guys walking around in like leather shoes, patent leather shoes and thousand dollar jeans and nice, you know, all that nice clothing that's going to be willing to climb a tree to see somebody. But, but the Holy Spirit's moving here, drawing Zacchaeus' heart to Jesus. He climbs this tree and Jesus spots Zacchaeus. Now, they're, they're, he's got a crowd going on. But who does Jesus engage? Jesus engages Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, get down from there. I need to go to your house. I need to hang out with you. And immediately the people start to grumble. 
this isn't new. If you look back at the Samaritan story, the disciples, when they come back from getting wood, or getting wood, getting food, they see Jesus talking to this woman, and it says they marveled. Well, if you dive down in that word a little bit, it's not like, oh, wow, that's really cool. It's, what an idiot. Like, doesn't he know what she's, like, it's not admiration, it's disgust. Well, once again, Jesus is at work here with this, this Zacchaeus guy who's a tax collector, and the people are disgusted. Why would you go to a sinner's house, deal with that sinner? Because Jesus has come to save the broken, the lost, the sinner. And, and in so doing so, we see this incredible heart change in Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus says, Lord, if I've defrauded anyone, then like if, like, yeah, 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 you have. And I'll pay them back fourfold. And I'm also going to guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to refund. I'm going to, you know, give like all this money to the poor. Half my possessions to the poor. And so you see in this guy that because of Jesus coming in and spending time with this guy, this guy's heart's changed and out of this heart change is these actions that are pouring out. Because Jesus went and hung out with somebody nobody wanted to hang out with. You know, I kind of like, if we have any lawyers in the room, please don't take too big of offense at this. But like, 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 the, like the ambulance chasing lawyer, right? That, that drives a really nice car, but is always looking for a way to make a buck off like the next person's injury, or maybe actually telling people, you caused this accident, and, right? That's kind of like what, a little bit what we got going on here. How many of you guys would like just look? I can't wait to go find somebody like that and spend time with them, right? Like, you disgust me. Like, you're dishonorable man. You lack ethics. You lack morals. You lack integrity. Why would I spend time with you? Because they're broken. Why would I get to know you? Why would I want to know the actions behind what you're doing? Why? What was, what was going on in the, the Samaritan woman's heart that she had these many husbands? Well, it was, what do we discover? She had a problem of worship. She had a problem not knowing who the Messiah was. And guess what? When the Messiah was revealed, there was repentance and there was freedom in her life. So much so that she runs back and tells her village. Zacchaeus has so much freedom in his life now. He's like money, wealth, possessions. I, I can give these things away freely now. I don't have to protect them and I don't have to rip people off for them. Jesus, the, the gospels are replete with stories of Jesus touching people's hearts and lives and caring for them right where they are at. But Jesus has got a leg up on us a little bit, doesn't he? He, can, he knows their hearts. When it says that he knows their hearts, he's like, he knows what they're thinking. He knows what's going on. We don't have that ability. So we're going to have to, uh-oh, suffer and getting to know people. It's going to be hard. People will push back. People will disappoint. People will hurt. And our journey to get to know them and our journey to bring the gospel into their lives. But as we journey that road of getting to know people like that, we are being identified in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because the thing that we're trying to bring, brothers and sisters... The thing that we're trying to bring people is the gospel. We are wanting to get to know them so that we can share the gospel within them in such a way 
that it impacts their hearts and lives. Now, wait a minute, they're like, some of you may be bristling, and rightly so at this point, you're like, like the theological warning signs are going off in your ears, like, are you changing the gospel? Absolutely not. The gospel never changes. God himself has come to rescue and renew all of creation through the work of Jesus Christ. But how we go about sharing that, and how we go about talking with people about that, can be shifted and changed, and so it meets the person's story. See, my story was, I was a good kid. That was my identity as a six and seven-year-old little boy. My sister was the rebellious one. My younger brother wouldn't talk. So I was the people pleaser. I was the middle child. I was the peacemaker. And my job and mission in life was to keep mom and dad happy. Like, I seriously, I still remember back to that. My identity was a good kid. I loved it when mom and dad would praise me. Oh, if your sister would just be like you. Boop, boop, boop. There goes my chest swelling up, right? I mean, that's what I lived for. But the beautiful thing was I was going to a Christian school there in Nebraska, and, and the, <laughs> the missionary was asking if anybody, they had us put our heads down, was asking if anybody who... Um, didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And once again, nobody raised their hand, and I felt bad for the missionary. And so the good kid says, I'll raise my hand so he won't feel bad. <laughs> okay. So that's what I did, right? Raised my hand, and then sweet, thought, didn't think anything of it. And later, it was recess time, and my teacher, Mrs. Salter, um, she comes and gets me. And I'm like going through the day's events in my life as she's leading me to the spanking room going, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I know I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I going to that? If I get one in here, I'm going to get one at home. And like, I'm going through all the races. I, I don't want to make my parents upset and da, da, da. And I'm heading into this banking room. And, 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 and all of a sudden, she begins to share with me the truth of Jesus Christ dying upon the cross for my sins and for my brokenness. And all of a sudden, in that moment, I began to weep as my world came crashing down. I wasn't the good kid. I was the broken kid. I was a kid that had thoughts of meanness against my friends. I was the kid that was so happy when my sister got in trouble. I was the kid that was so happy my brother didn't talk because maybe when he starts talking, he'll show me up. Like, I love the glory and I love the praise. And in that room, Jesus wrecked my world. And my real identity, my brokenness came out as I realized that I was a fallen creature, that I had to rebel against God. Now, I'd love to tell you that at seven years, eight years old, I began to journey this perfect, redeemed life like, oh, no, no, still struggle with that good kid stuff. Still struggle with it. God is still in the process of changing my heart in that area. And redeeming my heart. And someday when the king returns, I won't struggle with that anymore. And Jesus is still in process of getting hold of me and moving me through that. So how does this come to play in my story? Well, he came to, to rescue me from that burden of good kid. Because that burden of good kid wouldn't, would just have crushed me trying to live up to God's standard and failing constantly, trying to earn right standing with God but never being able to. 
Jesus said, I delight to take that burden for you. I want to rescue you from carrying that burden, and I want to renew you. I want to make you new, and I want to make you realizing that it's grace that is good. It is Jesus that is good. Not you, buddy. But it's okay because I'm going to make you white. I'm going to clothe you in white. And now, now the things that you do for me can be good. As they're lived out, as you try to live your life, as you desire to live your life for my glory. Because you love me. And those things can have value and significance for eternity. Do you see that? Do you see how God, through Mrs. Salter, through a missionary, through all those events, through the Holy Spirit's work, took the gospel story, and it wasn't changed one iota, but he shaped it to change my heart. Brothers and sisters, it's going to take some work to do that. It's going to be some, some effort for us to do that, to know people, to begin to ask them good questions. I'm going to give you four questions this morning. They're going to help you get to know people. Four questions. And it's based upon God's story. and They're revealed through God's story. And God's story is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created this perfect world. Everything that we needed. Man rebelled against God, sinned against God. The world became broken and all of creation now is imbued and bedded with sin. You know what God does? God begins to restore the world through Jesus Christ. He comes to, excuse me, redeem the world through Jesus Christ to change it, to change our hearts so that now we can live and to change this world so that now we begin to live for God and we look for the someday coming restoration, the full restoration of God's kingdom. This is, this is, this is God's story, right, that he's writing out in the history of the world. Well, we can break this story down into some great questions that help us get to know people. What was my identity in that story? The good kid. That was my identity. That's a broken identity. We love picking up broken identities. Father. People love being dad. That's their identity. I love being a dad. If I wasn't a dad, my world would end. You know, mom. Boss. Engineer, architect, student, athlete. Like, we pick up all of these external identities, which can be good if they're used for God's glory. But if they are a sole identity, if that's how we identify ourselves, then it's a broken identity. We have, our neighbors and our friends have a lot of broken identities that will fail them. Because there's only one true identity, that is child of God or not child of God. And if you're not a child of God, you usually don't recognize or identify yourself with that. You identify yourself with something else. But as a child of God, the true identity is I belong to him. He is my Lord, he is my King, and he is my Savior. That is my identity. Everything else is a way in which I get to praise him and glorify him. So when you're listening to the stories of your friends and getting to know them, who do they say they are? What is their identity? And write it down. If you're done with the conversation with them, you're like, man, 
they couldn't talk about how successful of a banker they are. They're like, man, I made such a smart decision investing here. And I've got all these real estate properties over here. And like, man, man, I've done so well in life. Or we've also heard the other story of like, my world stinks. I'm so hurting. I'm so broken. I've had this done to me, this done to me, this done to me, and I'll never recover. Like, so all of a sudden we hear like, oh, this guy's identity is a successful banker. And this person's identity is, the, is their brokenness, is the hurt, the things that have been done to them. And we can begin to bring Jesus Christ in the gospel and show them how in that hurt person's life that there can be healing and that that identity needs to no longer control their life. And this banker's person, you're like, man, I sure hope there's no Christ tomorrow because if it is, your world's going to be wrecked because this is your world, this is your identity. This is who you are. You're not. And so we can begin to talk with them and get to know them, but it's going to take us being in relationship with them to have these conversations. So one thing that we can identify with people who, and this is what our life group is doing right now, so I'm totally cheating. There, there's a thing called the gospel primer that I would highly recommend anybody to go through that talks a lot about this. The next thing we can deal with is the fall. Why are things and people not the way they're supposed to be and who's to blame? We can hear that in people's stories, can't we? What's the fall? Is the fall sin, man's brokenness, man's sin? No, they're pointing the finger at something or somebody else, right? If this hadn't happened, or if that hadn't been done, or this went hadn't gone on, right? They're pointing to a fall, something that, that is broken in their lives, but they're refusing to take ownership of it. They're refusing to, to say the broken thing is me and my sin. So I begin to identify as you're getting to know them what their fall, the fall is. The other thing, the way you can get to know them is through the redemption part of God's story. Who or what will rescue them and redeem what is broken in their life? This is a fun one for some of our young adults or maybe somebody who's been gone through a, a divorce or, or he's single. They're like going, if I just had a spouse, my life would be perfect. Boy, you ain't been married very long. Right? Marriage is great, but spouse is not where it's all at. They're wonderful to have. But guess what? If you're worshiping your spouse, they're going to let you down. Amen? Because we're a bunch of sinners joined together in holy matrimony. <laughs> you know God had a smirk on his face when he did that. Right, exactly right. Right? So, but there's other things. If I just had this right job. If I just had this retirement fund. If I just had this ability to speak really well. If I had this ability to play golf really well. I could quit my job and join the PGA. Life would be grand, Tiger Woods. Like, what? No, sin persists in even in professional sports. Let me tell you something. They're looking for something to save them, to change their lives. What is the avenue of change that our people are looking for? Get to know that. And the final thing is what will make the world or their circumstance look? Excuse me, what will the world or their circumstance look like when all as it should be according to them? And who or what will be the focus of this world? What does heaven look like for them? What, what, what's going what's gonna to be that saving thing? Like if I... <laughs> I had some dear friends that are Christians... And this was hard because to listen, and I don't, I don't point the finger at them. Please hear me carefully. That 
and that's nobody in this church, so don't even begin to think going there, that um, when talking with them, when we began to like, they're kind of like struggling with life right now. And they just kept saying, um, you know, if we got a boat, we got a vacation house, out of this state, life would be perfect. If our kids would, if our kids would just go to the right schools and get the right jobs and overcome the things that they're struggling with. And in those sentences, they never once mentioned Jesus. And I don't think they're alone. You see, oftentimes when we think about getting to know people, it's, it's to bring the gospel to not yet believers. But guess what? We all need the gospel. Many of you, maybe you this morning as I was going through there, your heart was struck like, I've got an identity of this. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I've been thinking that this, just this would change in my life. My life would get better. And I've stopped looking at the cross. I've stopped looking to Jesus to be my sole identity. I've stopped confessing my sin because I'm the one that is broken. And I'm the one, my sin is the one that I'm in rebellion against God. We stop looking to Jesus to redeem our hearts and change our hearts. In fact, we've walled up our hearts against Jesus because you're not big enough. You're not great enough to handle. We've stopped living for the eternal kingdom. I mean, how much church do we yearn to see Christ come upon his white horse and establish? Do we ache for that? Do we yearn for that? Or are we clearly just, oh, we're okay. I'm okay right now. Life's good. I don't need Jesus to come back. You know what? It will get to that point, church. It will get to the point where all of us wake up, yearn and crave to see the king. And I pray it happens soon. I've asked that for God in my own heart and life, that God would just crush my heart. That every morning, that the first thing I want to think about is today, the day that I get to see my king. That he's going to make everything right. See, that's what we're supposed to be living for. The return of the king. His kingdom. Not our own. So that we might start thinking, some of you may have already started thinking here this morning about how am I going to apply this to, to my not yet believing friends. I think we've got to apply it to our lives as well. And this is what's going on in our life groups. We are literally doing this. And I can, I'm not going to because you're not part of my life group and not being not part of it, you don't know the story of it. You don't know the context of it. But we had this going on just this last week. And there were some hot seats and people willingly placed themselves in the hot seat so that the gospel could change their heart. Amen. So that we could ask them good questions. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. But they knew they were surrounded by people that loved them and that wanted the gospel. This isn't going to take place here. So if you don't get yourself out of rows and put yourself in circles and allow people to know you, this isn't going to take place. And if you're visiting with us, I so encourage you, if you're not in a circle at home, 
get in a circle. Because what happens if we're not in circles, we come up with this theology of I'm okay, just where I'm at. And let me tell you what, there is not a plateau in Christian life. You're either growing in him or you're not. We need these conversations. We need circles of people in our lives to help us identify those areas and those places where we have stopped living the gospel story. I need it. I desperately need it. And I know I'm not alone. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a good thing and it's a terrifying thing. I'm going to close with this. One of the gentlemen I'm discipling, we're actually going through Alistair McGrath's Christian theology. Some light reading. He's getting his master's degree in apologetics. And my sole purpose in wanting to do this with him is because so many times when we study theology, we get really smart up here, but this doesn't change. It's just to to bring the practicality of this theology actually impacts our hearts. And one of the things that we were looking at this last week was that God is a personal God. That God suffered for us. Did you know the early church didn't believe that that God actually suffered? They, 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 They came up with this mystical thing because they felt if God suffered, then somehow he was not perfect or so was not complete. And so theologians had to deal with that and bring that to proper light, that God actually did suffer, and, and God actually suffered in different ways as God the, Father, uh, God the Son took on and became sin, and God the Father had to break relationship with the Son. And you've got this incredible event of God suffering. And I just, I was overwhelmed with our God loved us so much that before the foundations of the world, he knew he was going to do that to save us from our sins. He loves us so much he can identify in our very suffering. So as this is hard to get to know, are you kidding me? Jesus with the disciples, he suffered with the disciples so that they might know and believe. God suffered ultimately on the cross so we might have faith and so that we might introduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, to get to know them, to be part of their lives, and so that we could disciple and gospel each other's hearts. We were made to do this. This is what we were made for. And all those other, ident- all those other wonderful things that we get to experience, the fathers, the jobs, the mothers, the, the, all those other things that we get to experience in this life, we get to bring the gospel to those situations and glorify God. But it stems from our identity being in Jesus Christ. You know, being a Christian used to mean something. It used to mean that you were a Christ follower, a Christ pursuer. I would love for this generation of believers to take hold of that and renew that, that language again. Yes, I'm a Christian. I am a Christ follower. I love Jesus and he is my identity. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that this, the incredible stories of Jesus Christ in the, in the Gospels point us to a God who is patient, a God who 
loves, a God who cares, and a God who meets us right where we're at. And then if we're to follow you, it means that we're supposed to be doing the same thing. Help us, Lord. I think we're starting to see as we go through this material, Lord, why Jesus said it was so necessary that he send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one that gives us wisdom and insight and in what to say, the one that gives us the ability to overcome the people that we hate and that we can move from hating people to weeping with them, forgiving them, God, you're so good. Lord, we recognize this is what it looks like to live free. Thank you, Lord. And Father, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that if we've gotten off the path of having a right identity, a right understanding of the fall, a right understanding of what changes the redemption in our lives and the right understanding of restoration eternity, Lord God, that we would confess that this morning. That where we're at, maybe we kneel down, maybe where we're, we're just lower our heads and put our heads in our hands and just begin to confess that to you, Lord. That when we take the communion this morning, and that the identity of who we are is just literally staring at our face as we take in the bread, as we take in the juice, and reminded that we are children of the Most High God. And Christ died on the cross and rose for the grave so that we might be so. Thank you, Father God, for your incredible plan of salvation for your children. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, I pray that does not know you, that the Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and lives, that today would be the day that they decide to follow Jesus, repent of their sin, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. So we're going to have, I guess, Kaylee and Cassie. Are you guys going to do it? Perfect, perfect. Colleen and Curtis are going to hand out the elements. They need some help. Catherine, you want to help one side? And can get one more person to help out on the other side. I'm seeing Cindy Point, so go for it. Christopher's got it. So I'm going to have you go over there, and Christopher's going to get that side. Great. Hey, so we're going to take it together this morning. Is that okay? Um, so what we're going to do is they're going to hand out the elements while they're playing a song. Feel free to join in singing that song. Uh, feel free to just sit and pray. Feel free to stand. Feel free to kneel. A lot of freedom in this moment to be in the position that your heart needs you to be in. And did you go get the kids, Tammy, already? Perfect. Um, and so we're going to hand out the elements. If you've got little kiddos coming, take some extra elements for them. And then um, we're going to take this together um, as one body of believers. And this is for the Christians. And so um, we real, it's real important that you understand that if you're not a believer here this morning, we're so glad you're here. But I also want to warn things of you if, if things are bad for you. And, and this is bad for you if you're not a child of God. But for the family of God, this is something that we take on a weekly basis to remind us of what Christ has done um, and remind us of our identity in him. So if you would, please go ahead and lead us in song. Hallelujah, what a say. 
What a Savior Hallelujah to my King Oh how strong the power of Jesus name it is stronger than any other name how sweet the victory that bore my shame took the burden of my sin away hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king oh how great the kindness of god has shown we were strangers now we're called his own his grace has welcomed the sinner home tender mercies lead us to the throne hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king hallelujah hallelujah to my king hallelujah hallelujah to my king oh what peace the spirit of jesus brings through the trials he will carry me one day in heaven our eyes will meet filled with wonder all the saints will sing hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah what a savior hallelujah to my king oh hallelujah hallelujah to my king hallelujah hallelujah to my king hallelujah what a savior i owe everything to him hallelujah 
Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, that's right. Ethan, thank you. Ethan's keeping me on track. So, um, yeah, we changed it up a little bit today just because we wanted to tighten up the communion with the sermon a little bit. Um, one thing that if you're visiting with us that we like to do here, um, and you're welcome to just kind of sit and enjoy these moments of kind of looking into our, our family. Um, it's interesting in a book that I read by Dante Lewis, it says church, the uh, metaphor of churches, uh, actually the metaphor for church is is not family. In fact, church is family. That's what it's supposed to be. And so we share kind of some of our family stories about praising God, that we share these stories not with saying, oh, look what happened to me because I'm so good, but rather we're saying, hey, look what God did this week. And so we call these God sightings, God stories, but it's to paint God as our hero and the things that he's doing our week. And so does anybody have any God stories for us today? Melissa over here. It's not? Okay. So I know I get up like my friend Lois here a lot, but um, I suffer from anxiety. And this week was pretty tough. I had a friend going into surgery. I had my dad going in for a procedure that we have to wait to hear what happens with his kidney. Oh, sorry. Um, just a lot going on. Met with my doctor, who then brought in a, another provider to help me through. Yesterday, I've been really wanting to buy a motorcycle. <laughs> Yesterday, I had a friend that was going to go with me um, so that I could do a test ride. At the last minute, this friend couldn't go with me. And I was just rot with anxiety. I thought, there's no way. I haven't ridden in three years. I said, there's no way I can do this. And the whole way from here to Wenatchee, I was trying to figure out every which way to turn around. And of course, as we all know, there aren't very many turnouts that are safe to turn around in, especially with all the boats coming in. But he was with me. He was with me for my appointment where I said, I'm supposed to be praying more and I'm not. He was with me got me on that bike yesterday. I took it for a half an hour. It was the most glorious ride I've ever had. 
and I didn't wreck it. <laughs> because I had God with me, and I called my friend afterwards, and I said, I don't know if you did this on purpose, or if God was saying, Mel, you can do this. But I said, thank you for not showing up, because God was with me. This on this on okay, um, so this whole week has been. Um, God, uh, I mean, I talk a lot to you guys, but um, God is definitely moving in this. I just wanted to give you guys some encouragement about. Um, so Monday we met as a life group, um, and. It was just a beautiful thing because we were all praying over Clarissa because Clarissa had surgery on Wednesday. And just the love that, that God poured out through us in prayer for Clarissa was a beautiful thing. Um, and there's just so many, there's, I'm just so overwhelmed with so many things. Um, I'm really struggling right now with with these roles that I have, and one of them is um, being a mom and letting go of two girls getting ready to go to college. And I feel like I, I continue to be tested with that, but because um, I am a single mom, so it's... I'm, I'm not the best communicator, so I'll try and get this through, but um, I'm just in awe over how God continues through this church, through Scott, through all of you, through to remind me, and, and this is what is so cool about this church, is he just through my life group, through through all of you, um, I am just reminded over and over that, yes, I'm a mom, but that's not my identity. My identity is what Scott said earlier today. I am a child of God. I am a disciple. I am being discipled. And that became clearer to me this week than any other week in my life as a child of God. And it was a beautiful thing. I can't, it just, um, I, I'm gonna go through these emotions, but it's okay because God, God's with me. Amen. So. Well, I got a fun one for you. So, so Christy and I went to, to Denver last two weekends ago now and um yeah and uh had a great time in denver and or up in grand lake colorado 8300 feet hiked 12 miles 803 thought i was gonna die but it was okay <laughs> god got me through um and we we're coming back and you know we rented a car and it was a brand new uh toyota forerunner and we, we'd rented and we we're driving back and it's like oh we're gonna hit a little rain and we were probably 20 miles outside of 30 miles outside of denver and as soon as we got into it, it didn't take very quick to, to realize that it wasn't rain, it was hail. And we were getting pelted with just a little bit smaller than golf ball size hail. 
And I'm sitting there, and my first thought was like, there goes my deductible. There goes my insurance rates. Like, oh, Lord. And then it was the coolest thing in the world. But in that, it's like the, the minute I said those things, it was like there was, the Holy Spirit was saying right back at me, like, and I'll provide for that too. And I'll take care of that too. Just keep going. And so we, I slowed way down, and people were crazy trying to get off the road, hide under underpasses, and, and we just kept going really slowly through the storm. We got, got to the restaurant where we were going to eat, and I got out of the vehicle and just, okay. And then I started looking over the hood, the top of the car. There's not a single dent in the whole vehicle. And so you're just like, uh, and I just started laughing. I mean, just like, God, thank, thank you. Because that's the only, the only way that that's happened is that you just watching out for us and taking care of us. And, 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 and I hope my response would have been the same way if there had been dents in the vehicle. Um, but his truth really helped me to keep going that no matter what's going to happen right now, I've got you. Yeah. 